0: Welcome to episode 265 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hisler. I first met former Alberta Premier Jason Kenney shortly after founding our online news business in 2008. He represented my Southern Calgary writing. And during our interview, he was polite, articulate, and surprisingly warm, given the abundance of stories about him. The next time he showed up on my radar was 2017, as he prepared to enter Alberta Provincial Politics. I especially recall a speech he gave in which he admonished Canadian big oil CEOs for working with then NDP Premier Rachel Notley. Kenny's energy policy trajectory became increasingly obvious over the ensuing months. He was the defender of the energy status quo, the champion of the incumbent. No surprise, he handily won the 2019 election in which energy issues figured prominently, at least in his campaign. Kenny spent the next three years tearing up Notley's energy and climate policies. My experts have praised those policies, so I defended her, during her government and after. The new UCP approach was a disaster, in my opinion. How much of a disaster? Jeremy Appel has told the story in his new book, Kennyism, released last week. Welcome to Energy Talks, Jeremy. Hey, great to be here, Markham. It's uh, been a while. Well, it has, and, and you and Scott have had me on your Forgotten Corner podcast twice now, and I feel really bad because I have not returned the favor, so consider this the favor at least partly
1: returned. Well, you had us on before we even had a podcast, so now, now we're even. Uh, okay, if you insist, then we are
0: even It is well. Look, I, 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 ha- I haven't read it from cover to cover, but I plan to because it's very interesting. It's very well written. I mean, it's engaging, and and you touch on a lot of stories that uh, I either followed and some of them I reported on. And thank you for the shout, shout out on page. I forget what it is in chapter seven, folks. Uh, I'm quoted. So there you go. Uh, uh, that, we'll, that, you stocking.
1: should,
0: you should be in the index. Um, <laughs> if... I don't make it to many indexes. So this will be,
1: this'll Oh, be you're pretty. not, I, you're not in the index, but you are in the book. Oh, I had I'm to write my any. own. I had to write my own index. So I just, did my best. So you're not in the index but um you're you're in there for your excellent work uh debunking Vivian Krause's uh narrative. Yeah, 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 that uh I'm sure we'll discuss in more detail. Shortly. Oh, we we will absolutely.
0: So look, congratulations, great piece of work. Um where can listeners
1: buy your book? uh you can buy uh my book wherever you buy books um if you go to the publisher dunder press's page for it there's a tab you can hit that's uh called shop local and you put in your postal code and it tells you your closest uh, independent bookseller that you that is either carrying it or you can order it too. Uh you can also buy on Amazon if you live in some remote area. I would just urge people not to purchase it from Indigo. Of course, of course we understand.
0: Um, yeah. let's start with the title and your take on Jason Kenny. What is Kennyism?
1: So Kennyism is Really, a philosophy of what what what's called the new right, and it, it's really Kenny's own uh, version uh, uh, of that. So, the new right. Well, I'm talking about the new right. I'm talking about um, the right of Ronald Reagan and. Margaret Thatcher and these people who Kenny uh, very much looks up to, and I think he would be quite flattered to be named in their company. That has two interrelated and on their surface contradictory components. One is an economic philosophy of of neoliberalism, which I'm sure most of your listeners have heard of, that essentially believes that the market is the best means of delivering services to people and that the government's responsibilities, things like welfare and education and, and, and healthcare, Uh, to the extent possible, should be offloaded onto the private sector. And then citizens become customers, really, purchasing services, right? And and, I mean, uh, neoliberalism in education, I mean, in higher education, I mean, you see that with the price of tuition constantly going up and government grants getting cut everywhere in Canada. But in Alberta, Alberta is unique in having charter schools, which are essentially publicly funded, but privately operated schools, um, which tend to have smaller class sizes, they can turn students away, and um, are much more specialized in in their focus. But we're, we're not here to talk about education, but that's an example of neoliberalism. Now the, the 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 flip side to that is neoconservatism, or I've I've heard it referred to elsewhere as, as neo-victorianism, which I think is actually a, a really good way of describing it that sort of avoids the confusion of um having saying that the modern right is both neoliberal and neoconservative, right? But but neoconservatism neoconservatism is more of a social philosophy that while neoliberalism focuses on individualism and is about breaking down national borders for international trade and um, is focused on sort of uh, uh, individual liberty, it's libertarian, neoconservatism is more collectivist it's statist and it is a social philosophy right like like most neoconservatives how give us an example of give us an example of a have neoliberal economics so neoconservative policy is very much oriented around using the power of the state that remains once it's been uh largely dismantled by neoliberalism to bring some sort of social cohesion to society through promoting attitudes like patriotism and faith and family values and religion and um um uh and, and it's moralistic Right, And so you you, you have um, example for example, the religious right is very much uh, oriented in this neoconservative view that seeks to use the state to uh, promote this like uh, strong family values, uh, um, um, uh, set of policies that Kenny, was long an advocate of things like making sure that the definition of marriage doesn't include gay people or legislating abortion, which I, I heard a recent interview with Kenny with, and he's still like, we need to do something about abortion, which uh, wasn't saying. Uh, well, you know what? I,
0: I knew a lot of, I knew a lot of Kenny's uh, uh, associates uh, in Southern Calgary and they would have been the, uh you know, that social conservatives, they referred to themselves as, and they, they, they believed that Kenny was one of them, they, they participated with him, they socialized with him. And, and he believed that they carried his value, or he carried their values into the legislature and into into Parliament. So I get all of that. And the the, the irony here, though, is, of course, that when he be, became premier, uh, he immediately began a interfering using the state to interfere in stuff and he w- and he was profligate with with taxpayers dollars. He put a, a billion and a half dollars into the Keystone XL pipeline months be- just months before, mere months before uh, President Biden uh, re- you know rejected the uh, its uh, certificate. he he canceled uh, Rachel Notley's rail, uh, oil by rail contract that cost two and a, almost two and a half billion dollars. I mean, these are really large numbers, even in Alberta, for crying out loud. And he did it without even so much as blinking. And he and he rationalized it in the press and in the public. And I have a hard, I have a really hard time uh, squaring the idea of a neoliberal or a neoconservative or a social conservative, any of those, being so
1: cavalier with public dollars. Well, but that that is part of uh, the neoconservative aspect is using the state to essentially put its thumbs on the scale for this uh, moral order that um, people like Kenny perceive. Which is, and, 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 and my 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 point to talk about these two concepts and how they interact is to highlight how the new rights politics is based on strengthening both state and corporate power as a means of locking in traditional power relations, right? And so I think when you understand that, it makes sense that he would be so profligate when it comes to the oil and gas industry and that the logic of the market just doesn't apply there because it's then it's like, it's it because the goal isn't to uphold the free market it's to uphold the power structures that are created by the 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 free market traditionally and and so when those fail then the state needs to step in and so while that would um on its surface appeared to be hypocrisy. I argue in the book that it's actually ideologically consistent and it's a through line throughout Jason Kenney's political career from his days with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation in the 90s to uh, his ultimate demise in 2022.
0: In my introduction, I mentioned that uh, Kenney had admonished Canadian big oil CEOs. And in a sense, that seems contradictory. But the context here is really important because in 2014, 2015, five oil sand CEOs met with five uh, environmental groups and Zipporah Berman represented the environmental groups. He was co-chair and Dave Collier, formerly of CAP, was the uh, uh, the CEO's co-chair and they cut a deal. And that's how we get in Alberta, the 100 uh, megaton uh, oil sands emissions cap. It came out of those negotiations. It didn't come out of Leach's uh, uh, climate uh, consultations. It came out of, out of that. And the, what that did was set off a civil war inside the Alberta oil patch because the other companies, and there were many of them, and the service sector and the finance sector felt that the oil sands CEOs had sold them out they had agreed to things like carbon pricing that the other companies had wanted absolutely nothing to do with. And so this was, I remember interviewing uh, Tim McMillan when he he was uh, CEO of, of CAP and, and talking about this and the, the tension in his voice as he made it very clear that neither CAP nor anybody else but those C companies cut that deal. They were at the table. Nobody else would, nobody agreed with it. And so my point is, as Kenny comes to the table, he represents not the big established interests at that time. they He saw them as illegitimate. they They were sort of rogue NDP supporter, you know, using that to get to the, protect their own interests. And he opposed that. He was supported by the other players in the patch. And but then once those CEOs were gone, which by twenty eighteen they were mostly all of them gone, he very quickly circled back around and brought the oil sands companies into the fold, and everything was all hunky-dory uh, in in Kenny's world, and especially by the time he became, uh, became premier. So a long-winded way of putting some context to our conversation.
1: Right. And it's worth noting, of those uh, oil and gas CEOs who stood up on stage with Rachel Notley and Shannon Phillips and... Tipora Berman and many others to introduce Alberta's climate leadership plan. Not long after only one of them was left, right? Like this was the, 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 the boards, um, weren't on board for this and, uh, orchestrated ooze essentially to, to get rid of these, uh, these, ceos that i think in today's language they would probably deride as being woke or you, you know what th- i i have had a number of occasions since i published
0: uh, those stories in like 2018 I, I have had a number of people say hisla that never happened you're a liar that there there's no way those ceos met with those environmental groups despite the fact that i could point them to a 2016 uh, issue of the Suncor. Uh, corporate magazine in which Ed Whittingham was one of the executive directors, and um, I forget the uh, Suncor VP's uh, uh, name offhand. Oh,
1: I, I know who you're referring to. They wrote a Globe and Mail op-ed together, I think. Yeah, I mean it was there in black and white, I and mean, not even that. It was all lies because the power
0: of the power of narrative and the power of well, of narrative in Alberta politics is so powerful, you cannot hold contradictory thoughts. You can't hold, complexity is not necessary, is not desired in Calgary. It's groupthink. And that's how people like Brett Wilson, who's dumber than a bag of hammers, that's how they get to be thought leaders is they, they have all the depth of a meme, a Facebook meme, but they just keep talking about it over and over and over again. And everybody can sit around and, and that's why a lot of the policy discussion in Alberta has the depth of a, a conversation in the back in the back booth at Tim Hortons.
1: Oh yeah, I, I mean absolutely, and I also talk about the media's role in in this book. And it's not a book of media criticism of perpetuating this dumbing down of our political discourse i of course only arrived in alberta in 2017 so i don't really have uh, the as as long a uh, point of reference as you might but um I, I i mean and reporters did a great job holding kenny to account as premier um at various outlets but the range of acceptable opinion in the pages of the Edmonton Journal and Calgary Herald, and um, also uh, on on television, on CBC panels and CTV panels to a lesser degree is uniformly right wing. I mean, you had Lisha Corbella, uh, who is a member of the UCP writing columns about how great Kenny was. And I I actually, In the midst of I, a campaign. In the midst of a campaign. Yeah, and I, But I, I actually don't have a problem with calmness, or even reporters, frankly, getting active in partisan politics and uh, exercising their rights as citizens. I think that's actually a good thing. The problem with Corbella is that at the same time, she was saying, I'm just a totally neutral observer here. And I think Jason Kenney is great, right? It was her deception of that. And the fact that, I mean, there are, are no left-wing columnists at the Calgary Herald, but if 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 a reporter was found to have joined the NDP to vote in their leadership race, they at very least wouldn't be allowed to 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 write about it. They would have been they would have been shuffled
0: out the back door, yeah, uh, at the the most convenient moment, the earliest convenient moment. I want to talk about Ezra Levant and ethical oil uh, because. This is, you mentioned this as uh, kind of the intellectual foundation for a lot of the, what goes on in Alberta today. And, and I have an Ezra story that I'll relate after you, you give us maybe just an overview of the role that, uh, you know, the, the little cherub played in, in this discourse.
1: Well, I believe the book came out in 2010 and it was, it was a, it was a big hit, um, I mean, even the Toronto Star, which is you know sort of Canada's progressive newspaper, at least the closest thing to a progressive newspaper, was it wasn't in that Canada. time? Yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, I would say it still is because there are just fewer newspapers, right? <laughs> like, if if anything, it's more so now, just because of uh, how the industry uh, uh, works. If we're talking specifically about newspapers, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, or, okay. Online, independent. right. So
0: everybody yeah. had lots of good things to say about any one of them. Yeah, they they
1: they sent a reporter to interview, sit down with him and interview him uh, about this book and how brilliant it is and how he's not making an economic argument. And this ties back to uh, what I, what I was originally saying. He's not making an economic case in favor of the oil sands, um, which I, I mean today doesn't exist, but. Um, back then it did he's he's actually making a left a progressive case for the values promoted by the uh oil and gas industry right and 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 what this is though is what 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 that reporter is describing is neoconservatism it's talking about this moral order that needs to be upheld regardless of 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 economics right and um. So he he basically he he he. First of all, he he lies like a rug in the book. He he <laughs> he. I, I mean, he like he says the science behind climate change is he's like the, the 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 oil being produced in 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 the Athabasca oil sands is more environmentally friendly than any other oil in the world, which is I mean, complete fabrication. But then you read later in the book. Finally, he addresses climate change. He's like, "Yeah, it's not real. Like, it's just a way to um, to stymie Alberta's oil and gas production. That's all it is. You don't have to worry about that." But then, but 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 the main argument he's making is a moral one that you either you can buy oil from Saudi Arabia or Iran or Nigeria or Venezuela, or you can buy it from Canada. And, and, of course, framing it that way, it's like, well, it's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't we buy it from, from, from Canada? No, never mind that Canada has its own uh, long and ongoing history of abusing human rights at home and abroad. But the, the, the this idea that our oil is ethical, right? And that was, again, Jason Kenney when the book came out. Um, and him and Ezra, you know, go way back to the early days of of the Reform Party. Uh, they formed sort of the snack pack, what was called, with uh, Raheem Jaffer and Rob Anders. Okay. Um, th- uh, he was just like, this is a fact pack polemic that that you have to read. He t- in the early days of Twitter, he uh, he 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 tweeted that book out, and it, it was a very influential polemic by shifting the train of debate about the oil sands from its uniquely uh, toxic effects on the environment to this irrelevant moralistic criteria
0: i i want to put an OR in here for the work i did last year and, and it's ongoing in the unethical oil investigative series i can't let this pass without some comment
1: yeah and that was a good se- series i don't think i read the entirety of it but what i did read from it was very informative i'll wait till you see what's coming uh the stuff i have accumulated
0: i've probably done a hundred interviews jeremy i mean i could literally write a book about this thing and i've got many more to come and many of them were scientists engineers people inside and outside the aer here's the point when you peel back the facade of oil and gas regulation in canada and uh, sorry in alberta and oil and gas operations it's a nightmare it's a disaster uh of epic proportions and this is the thing that that always has fascinated me about Ezra's book, is that when Kenny says this is a fact fact filled whatever he said, but it's fact filled. It's not. It's not. It's what it is is a recitation of the narrative that the mm-hmm. oil industry and the regulator and the government and everybody else agrees to. But when you when you go uh, when you go out and you look at the data, so example, by twenty twenty. There were 97,000 suspended and inactive wells, which are essentially orphan wells. They, they, they will never be come on board again, you know, brought back into production. $300 billion of unfunded environmental liabilities between the conventional side and the, and the oil side. Those numbers are staggering. There is, I don't know that there's another, maybe Russia, some countries like that have those kinds of liabilities. So to me... Ezra is little more than a propagandist. He's literally the gerbils of, of of for Alberta and for the industry. And the, the gerbils
1: of the Tar Sands. Yeah.
0: The gerbils of the Tar Sands. Can I call it Tar Sands here? You're not you're uh, not Alberta. I, I don't, Alberta. I, I, don't yeah. I don't care. I call it oil sands. You know what? I went to a scientist one time and I said, "Look, Tar Sands oil sands, what should I use?" He, he said he gave me the song and dance about the science and then
1: he said, "Call it the oil sands." And I have ever since. I mean, neither is entirely accurate. Um, there's actually a good piece by Colby Kosh, of all people, in uh, uh oh, like a decade or two ago, it, You know, explaining how both uh, terminologies are um, m- somewhat misleading because there's no actual tar, right? Like what's called tar is actually this combination of sand and, and and water and hydrocarbons and, and, and right. Uh, oil, right? It's bitumen. It's thick, it's thick like tar. That's But what oil makes like. it sound like it's the same type of oil you get in the United States or Saudi Arabia or Venezuela, like crude oil, which it's absolutely not. The amount of extraction that goes into turning it into crude is what makes it so disastrous for the planet. So I, I think that tar sands is, Less misleading than oil sands, but of course I bring my own biases uh, into that. Discussion. You're welcome to call it tar sands. I'm going to
0: continue to call it oil sands based on my conversation with the scientists. Let's get on to Vivian Cross. Let's get on to Vivian Cross.
1: E- Ezra, oh. Ezra Jr. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so look, uh, so she comes on the scene and... 2011, somewhere around there. She writes some blogs and she, she, what she did, uh, according to Sandy Garasino from the, the observer is she went online and, and there are searchable databases and you can find applications and you can find grants and they're all tracked through this U S big U S database. And so she found these things and, and so, and there was, you know, and, and she misinterpreted them and she mistook them for other things and she came up with these hundreds of millions of dollars numbers. And her point was, her argument was opposition to the Alberta oil sands is being funded by Americans, by activists and supporting activist Canadians like Zipporah Berman and indigenous groups and so on. But mainly she her focus was on the Americans. So it was foreign activism that was damaging Canadian, particularly
1: Alberta interests. And which is which is really picking up where ezra left off right yes because that's exactly right yes. that this entire that right for ezra the entire narrative around climate change is being used to by this international cabal of environmentalists to single out queer innocent alberta right it's and the to com- distract the, com- from- the
0: communists are coming and they're coming in the form in the guise of climate activists
1: yeah, and are but at the same time, these communists are being funded by uh, billionaires, right? So,
0: well, billionaires' foundations, whose kids maybe you know are not don't care that, that oil was the basis of the of the uh, Rockefeller uh, Foundation. For anyway, so uh, Sandy wrote a piece on 2014-2015, somewhere around there on Vivian, and Vivian's work was the the basis for uh, Stephen Harper's crackdown on. You know, he went and he got the CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, for our American listeners, to crack down on charities and audit them, and they never found anything. I mean, literally, it was a just costing the charities a bunch of money to get audited, and and he, he they were looking for evidence of receiving found uh, foreign uh, foundation money, and so Sandy wrote a piece, 2014-2015, and and uh, Vivian Souter, sued her and, and the observer and they didn't bc didn't have anti-slap legislation at that time and so the lawyer said sandy you can't write anymore you can't it was at a very effective way of freezing investigation into what vivian was up to and by this time she's the darling of the oil patch and she's she's flitting around canada giving talks and being paid fees to do this and
1: uh,
0: on and yeah around.
1: she by her own admission she was funded by the oil and gas industry Fair. uh largely for a period of a couple years. And uh yeah, incredible example of the the mechanisms of the state legal processes being abused to silence critics. And uh oh but we're only course, getting
0: started this story, yeah, we're sorry. only getting started because And this plays a big part in your chapter seven, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, So let's just finish up the story. So in 2018, I come along and I'm making fun of Vivian. You know, I just, I can't believe the stuff she's saying on Twitter. And so I do go do a 9,000 word investigative report. And the important thing for me is I don't go into the finances. I go talk to the people who are receiving the money. And Zipporah Berman tells me on the record, over 10 years, the Tar Sands campaign received only $40 million on the record. And, and uh, so roughly $4 million a year. And in 2015, when, when Notley brought in that climate leadership plan, the foundations looked at that and said, well, that's all we wanted. All we wanted was Alberta to implement a climate plan. They've done that. Our money's drying up. We're going to go put it someplace else. And so after 2015, literally, maybe Well under a million dollars when it was still going to fund that that kind of work. It had petered out to nothing by 2015 at the absolute latest. And frankly, they had the right, the moral and the legal right to dissent. And I defended that over and over again, that even it didn't matter where the money came from, Zipporah Berman and every activist had the right to oppose the oil sands. And if the oil sands didn't like it, they could make a better argument
1: so and you've done a good yeah job well this yeah and i interviewed cpar for the book and i think it was one of the best interviews in the book just uh i admired her her candor because um firstly uh, she uh feels that her work with the oil and gas industry that was facilitated by the ndp was essentially a waste of time that that we're in a climate emergency and the policies that she is i mean she has some mixed emotions i think because she is proud of bringing a carbon tax to Alberta, a cap on uh, emissions from the tar sands. But she said, ultimately, if it's being used for cover to extract more from the tar sands, what good is it? I mean, we're in an emergency, and 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 um. But also, yeah, I mean, one thing she said, right? Because of course, Kenny picked up on Krause's theories as he was. Gearing yes. up to take on Notley in 2019. And then Rachel Notley, on very close to the eve of the 2019 election said, Yeah, I think Vivian Krauss is on to something. Um, so um that was shameful, yeah, but, by
0: the way. That was was it was, totally it
1: was absolutely gross, and uh I expect the Alberta NDP to keep making uh similar mistakes by uh trying to position themselves as actually we're the the real champions of this this decaying industry. Uh, but, um, she said, right. And so there were two, two strategies Kenny took, right. was the energy war room and the inquiry into this conspiracy theory outlined by Vivian Krause. Right, but you got and, we got to provide some
0: context here because our American listeners or listeners outside of Alberta are not going to understand what you're saying. So, in the what he promised in the campaign was that a there would be an, a public inquiry, like an official legal public inquiry into Vivian's allegations. That's that's one. He also committed thirty million dollars per year to create what he called the Alberta Energy War Room, which would provide "quote unquote" rapid response to inaccuracies in social media and the media and so on. Uh, so that that's the context that
1: Jeremy's talking about. Yeah, yeah, I- exactly. And so C. told me, she was uh, like, hey, if, if Jason Kenney wanted to know uh, about the extent of foreign funding of Tarzan's campaign, I mean, he could have called me. I, I, I would have told him just like she told you, right? Like, here it is, $4 million a year. They didn't want to know it was meant to be a political crime. Right, exactly.
0: It
1: it was an effort to portray, for Kenny to portray himself as this defender of the interests of this besieged Alberta that is under attack by a, 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 a supposedly hostile government in Ottawa and uh uh, this alien uh socialist government. I, I'm using scare quotes on socialist, um, in, in here that's doing Ottawa's bidding, and this is all part of this international environmentalist conspiracy that is being spearheaded by these American billionaires. And I don't think Krauss ever ex- made this explicit, but implicitly it was that they're doing it to benefit u.s oil interests right? oh no she did it once she she absolutely
0: there was one interview where she said it plain just like you did and i i sent that away to some of my american experts they fell over themselves laughing the <laughs> the idea that american oil companies would fund uh canadian activists to oppose a u.s Canadian oil, oil sands. The oil sands, there are no comp, no competitors in the U.S. The, Canada's competitors for those American refineries are the heavy oil producers. Mexico, Venezuela, Colombia, Brazil, Ecuador. They're not Americans. The Americans produce light sweet crude. Vivian, see, this is one of my, my, my basic uh, uh, criticisms of Vivian. She didn't know what the hell she was talking about. She literally didn't know anything about the industry, and she just parroted stuff that she heard and picked up here and there, and and you know it, you common sense, you know rational examination of her arguments was prima facie. You could make the case that she didn't, you know that her she was wrong, and 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 it was. The fact that she was as influential as she was in the Harper government, which Kenny was a cabinet minister in, then in the Kenny government
1: is scandalous. Absolutely mm-hmm. scandalous. Uh, yeah. I mean, especially because she lacked the, like at least Ezra Levine, say say what you will about him. And there are lots of things to be said. He does have a certain charisma and like flair to him that I think is entirely absent from uh, Vivian Krause but so I think so. Kenny does fulfill these promises. He also promised explicitly in the platform to fire Ed Whittingham from the Alberta yes. Energy Regulator, who I also horrible for the horrible and yeah, yeah. And again, Ed Whittingham is in sort of him com- conflating him with Sipora Berman as these opponents of the fossil fuel industry, which by proxy is an an enemy of the state of Alberta um, in Canada. Um, And and of course, Ed Wingham, really middle of the road guy, right? A very different approach to combating climate change than Sipora Berman. I think I lean a bit more towards Sipora's uh, viewpoint. I think you may lean a bit more towards Ed's, but I mean, he's not like he, this depiction of him as this radical uh, no more pipelines environmentalist is just so fictitious. I mean, his entire thing is working together with industry, which Sipora experimented with a, a bit with. But that wasn't her comfort zone. Right. Her comfort zone was, uh, you know, taking to the streets and, and, and doing direct action. And Ed was much more comfortable sitting in boardrooms and, and and trying to get oil and gas companies to reduce their emissions. Zipporah
0: was, uh, and she's told me that she's, she was an activist who, who participated in the process to try to make change. She became disillusioned that, that I think that's the biggest thing she said. She became, she came to believe that the oil sands companies had no intention of following through with their commitments. And that really it was all a, a charade, and we they just didn't have time to do that, to play around those games. Whereas Ed Whittingham said, look, we made a deal with the oil sand CEOs, because Ed was one of those five executive directors. He said, we agreed to support methane emissions reductions, we agreed to support uh, industrial emitter uh, carbon pricing, and we agreed on that 100 megaton emissions cap, and I will stand by my handshake. I have a lot of respect for Ed and when when uh, Kenny went after him publicly and called him you know, radical and and all of the the slurs, I mean, he defamed him wildly. i would have I would have sued I would have sued J- Jason Kenny from here to Pluto uh, and he deserved to be and and Ed deserved to be defended far more than he was. It was shameful the way he was left to hang out and twist in the wind the way he is. But Ed stood on his principles. He said, I agree to that. We're gonna go ahead with what I what I agreed on.
1: So that's my take on it. Yeah, and and but but the the and he repeatedly attacked Sipora and Ed personally throughout the campaign, just vilifying them as an example of the NDP's radical environmentalist agenda. Despite the fact that they were there because they could build a bridge, or were, thought they could build a bridge between industry and activists and um i mean see Pora got got way worse than than ed i mean she was physically assaulted at the airport in edmonton um and spat on and um and and, and you saw these attacks the way they percolated through ezra levant's media outlet and then to vivian kraus and then to alicia corbella and then to Jason Kenny, who's just talking about what he read. Like is it right? It wasn't coming from him, it was just coming from his friends in in, in, in it was media. in the it was
0: in the air, man. Yeah, you, you know, the air that yeah. he breathed, it was everywhere. But right. I people
1: make, are saying,
0: right? <laughs> yeah. Jeremy, I want to make a point here because American our American listeners are going, Yeah, this is a lot of inside baseball in Alberta politics. I mean, really, what do I what what do I care about here? The point is that the the power of government, the power of the political parties and the political process, the power of the media was harnessed to to conduct def- defamatory campaigns against Zipporah Berman, the most, as you say, Ed Whittingham and others, that was utterly shameful, utterly shameful.
1: In and and Shannon Ed. Phillips, who was the um, Minister of Environment and Parks under the NDP government that Kenny defeated in 2019, who was stalked by Lethbridge police officers who right oh yeah she represents a uh I guess what Americans would call a district in Lethbridge uh Alberta's third largest city in in southern Alberta um and yeah and surveilled by police for and again the, the Alberta NDP wasn't doing any radical environmentalism at all and but even that in the that was seen as a bridge too far and was sort of part of this narrative that Alberta is under siege um, by
0: very much a a populist kind of strategy to whip people up, make them feel like they're a victim to victims. If you have a victim, you need a perpetrator. And so Ed Whittingham and Zipporah, uh, you know, were were handy uh, whipping,
1: whipping boys and girls. Mm-hmm. And that's another key aspect of uh Kenyism, too, the the vilification of his anyone who sort of stood in the way to this vision of prosperity he had. And what um what's called authoritarian populism, which is this sort of populism from above that Margaret Thatcher really uh exemplified that takes these 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 this this sense among the population that things are fundamentally broken in this disenchantment that is real and is justified i mean there was i mean the people were losing work in the oil sands and and ceos were still making good money and and, and but giving form to that in a way that justifies the larger Political project that is fundamentally elitist. So you're raging against elites in service of policies that benefit elites, right? And 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 so that's why I don't really see a big difference between this the 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 sort of conservatism of Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and Jason Kenney and that of Donald Trump or Danielle Smith right it, it, or, or boris johnson i i mean it all serves the same project in in, in my view but yeah, um sure but maybe we should talk a bit more about the the sort of the war room and then the inquiry uh um, yeah let's let's
0: talk about the inquiry because that there's a direct tie-in to vivian croft so yeah 20 as jason kenny gets elected he, he he calls this public inquiry he appoints uh, uh steve allen who's a prominent Forensic accountant, uh, forensic auditor out of Calgary to head it, so as we colloquially call it, the uh, Allen Inquiry, and and they they have a, and and a, a UCP donor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
1: UCP donor. So he's big, he's a wheel Sp- in the party, and specifically, and- I'm sorry, I, this is your show, and I shouldn't interrupt you, but yeah. I just. Because specific, I just think this is interesting, specifically to the campaign of the justice minister at the time, Doug Schweitzer, who appointed him to this role. So this was uh, sort of one of many uh, cases of dubious ethics under Kenny's tenure. We'll,
0: We'll permit that intervention because it added materially to the story. OK, so the inquiry, yes, I call it a kangaroo court in a couple of columns because that's exactly what it was. They had written they had basically written the decision already. And all on all poor old Steve Allen had to do was go out and find the uh, was find the uh, the uh, data to support the conclusion that they started at the beginning of the, the inquiry. They didn't hold any public meetings. They commissioned three studies that were so bizarrely ideological you know marxists and communists were running amok in alberta and 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 alberta was a, a target yeah. and a
1: victim it was she shocking. said watermelons right oh i do was that it i don't know yeah because well, they're they're it's it, they're green on the outside in red inside right oh there we go I, i'd forgotten yeah. about that so the point here
0: is that kenny's kenny's alberta during 1920, not, uh, 2019 to 2022 when he got turfed it was basically a hothouse of insanity and daniel smith is worse and which is why we we tend to think of oh kenny was not bad oh yes he was and on the end I, I also don't
1: think daniel smith is worse
0: uh, I, I think grist for another conversation my friend let's stick but, to uh, the facts at hand so anyway what happened was finally he got he had $2.5 million to do the inquiry. Then he got another million dollars, and then he got extensions and extensions. Finally, he reports. Jeremy, tell us what he reported.
1: Uh, turns out that um, these environmentalists were exercising their right to freedom of expression on an issue that they care deeply about. Like it, it was li- literally it, it because it, it, you you mentioned that they had this predetermined conclusion, and Alan was dispatched to find evidence that supports that conclusion, and he couldn't do it. And and Steve yeah. Allen isn't, a, it's not because Steve Allen's a dumb guy. It's, no, it's, it's just quite the contrary. You can't, you, right? Yeah, it's you couldn't square that circle, and I mean it was almost comical too throughout. I mean the 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 inquiry got several deadline um, extensions. Its terms of reference were constantly updated to even make it easy, right? So at first it was to look into this foreign plot to subvert Alberta's fossil fuel industry. And then that wasn't the exact wording, but that was the sentiment. But then they added the exact words, if any, to it. Which I think was a good indication as to how well it was going. I mean, it was, it was, on the one hand, it was a joke, but dismissing it as such ignores, I think, what its true purpose and its true impact was. Yes. Which was to drag these environmentalists and people loosely affiliated with them like Shannon Phillips and Rachel Notley through the mud to publicly shame them. And at that, at that point, it didn't matter what conclusions the Allen inquiry reached. And Sandy Garasino wrote a very powerful piece telling Kenny to like, take it back, take back all the smears you made against these people who are just doing their best doing what they thought they could to address one of the most uh, pressing issues of our time. And Kenny didn't do that, which is why he is getting sued for libel by several environmentalist NGOs in Canada. And a judge, he tried to get it thrown out of court and the judge was like, nope, nope, sorry personal responsibility well, the,
0: the silly bugger. okay, first of all, I want to say something about Sandy. Sandy's a friend of mine, and we were she and I were were involved up to our elbows in this public debate while while this the, the al inquiry was going on. I wrote many columns, made all kinds of comments on in the media and on social media. And my point always was these people had the right to do what they did, regardless of where the money came from. It, and this was an attempt to suppress dissent and to and to uh, ruin their reputation and to you know so it was illegitimate it was i guess my my point so anyway um what where this comes how if we were to to frame an argument about why this is important and this is where the, the war room comes in as well i have been i i'm an energy transition journalist and i spend a lot of time talking about and reporting on and analyzing the global energy transition peak oil demand coming for alberta's oil and gas industry uh all of the the issues that these the, alberta is facing an existential crisis the the biggest industry in its pro, in the province is is on maybe a seven years five years six years away from you know demand destruction prices falling etc cetera, etc cetera. it desperately needs a rational response to that it needs of it needs to understand what's going on it needs policy direction it needs strategy it needs on and on and on and there's all kinds of things we can do jeremy we we can have another you know conversation about this instead it got a circus at the very time it needed the best and the brightest at the helm doing the right thing, it got dummies doing the wrong thing. And the people who had reputations like Steve Allen went along with it and enabled the dummies to do the wrong thing. And I, you know, we're going to look back at history. Historians are going to write the, the, the uh, you know, they'll read your book first, and then they're going to write stories about how Alberta made serious strategic errors in in its in government policy and in and the industry made strategic errors and it's going to be ugly i don't think it can be saved at this point and a lot of it that period from 2019 to 2022 when kenny was in power those were crucial years they were inflection years and they're lost now
1: yeah and i mean again uh danielle smith has continued that trajectory right and uh (laughs) And and, and escalate. I remember at one of the UCP leadership debates a couple of years ago, she was saying, "Yeah, I don't think the inquiry went far enough. Like, we, we need to look into the Parkland Institute, the University of Alberta. Why are they putting out all these reports that are making us look bad, right?" And and of course, with her moratorium on renewables, which I believe is now over, or will be over within days. I mean, there's a there's an opportunity for Alberta to pursue this transition, and no, the NDP, and you might disagree with me on this, didn't do nearly enough to facilitate this transition. Oh, Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy, 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 do you not remember when the NDP
0: blackballed me because I I published a column called Ener- "Rachel Notley's Got No Energy Game." Come on, man. I I got blackballed over that, and I have said very consistently that since they lost the election in 2019, the NDP under Notley has been a disaster on energy and climate policy.
1: Very clearly said that. So no, yeah. I
0: don't disagree with you. I guess
1: okay. That's great. That's great. I'm I'm glad. I mean, of course, you live in BC. What? <laughs> oh, oh, yes, but you know what? Parksville is called Little Alberta for a reason.
0: Oh, is that right? Well, is that in? Do you live in Vancouver? No, I live in Parksville on Vancouver Island, which is between Nanu's Bay, Qualicum Beach, and Parksville, which
1: is little communities all around here. It's made up of retired Albertans. Oh yeah, of course, of course. At least, well, retired Albertans who are like, I think probably disproportionately more enlightened than those who would retire to you know the interior. But... oh, you would be wrong, sir oh is that right okay well nonetheless
0: nonetheless the the, so so where are we going to go from here because the uh uh, maybe i'll make this point danielle smith is not electable not well she wasn't elected she was chosen because kenny got turfed danielle smith can't become premier without jason kenny would you agree
1: of course of, of course and 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 frankly Jason Kenny couldn't become premier without Rachel Notley and Rachel Notley couldn't become premier with Jim Prentice right I mean that that isn't how but but there is a an ideological affinity between them even though there are differences and I think I might explore that in another book about Smith we'll see how this one does but Um, Absolutely. I mean, uh, what what Smith is doing now on on, on various fronts, but let's focus on the energy file, because that is what the show is about. I mean, Kenny paved the way for, right? This this attack on renewable energy, like literally interfering in the free market, because it was unfavorable to the oil and gas industry. Right? I mean, let let me let me point
0: out something uh, and. The, the the International Energy Agency posits that there are six phases in the integration of variable renewable energy into a power grid. The first two require no re-engineering of the grid. Basically, the, the the system operators can adapt to the wind and solar. But once you get into phase three, which is where Alberta is right now, it has 14% wind and solar in its generating capacity, you have to begin re-engineering the grid. And Danielle Smith keeps this 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 pathetic fantasy around that you just drop in wind farms and drop in solar farms and you you close down coal and somehow the grid's supposed to accommodate that if you don't as a government invest in the things that are needed in the grid like storage market reform uh, virtual power plants on and on and on there's a whole list of things i could give you but my point is she's incompetent to be where she is incompetent to manage the transition over to other forms of energy because she just doesn't know. And the the, the extent she, you know, she's as, as Kenny once said about Trudeau, you know, Danielle Smith is as deep as a finger bowl. That's that. That's part of the problem when it comes to energy. And yet she says she is the personification of Dunning Kruger. She says everything, all of her errors and all of her, her untruths. She says it with the
1: absolute un unshakable confidence yeah but and i but yeah and i think kenny has this because kenny by all accounts everyone i spoke to knew him brilliant guy whether they 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 loved him hated him he knows a lot right he's read a lot of books he's read read a lot of books he he understands how politics works which i think smith does too um but but he but it, he has these um i think deep seated beliefs about sort of uh society and everyone's role in it that i think stem in part from his devout roman catholicism yes, and I agree. his devotion towards the monarchy and westminster um parliamentary democracy that danielle smith doesn't i think danielle smith is a very gifted communicator undeniably a very talented broadcaster and that's i mean again you have to ignore the substance of what she's saying but she's very good at getting you to do that and just
0: she's a she's a she's a brilliant conservative talk show radio host who's managed to build a bridge to politics that's what she is I, i'm not going to go yeah as far as communicator that that's 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 too a bridge too far for me
1: but i but my point is that i think smith uh has a certain flexibility in that regard that Kennedy doesn't have <laughs> yeah that's, right which is yeah, why sure. which is why she could even though again for her entire career she's been talking about just market solutions to everything right but she I mean Kenny removed uh benefits for severely handicapped from uh um rising with inflation right he 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 de-indexed them from inflation right and Great. she brought it back she brought it back he um removed a cap instituted by the NDP on auto insurance. She brought it back, which again, I think part of that is to quote Neil Young, you know, got fuel to burn, got roads to drive, right? But again, she 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 has a certain flexibility ideologically that Jason Kenny lacks, which is why she's able to be pressured by the same forces that Kenny cultivated. Um when he returned to Alberta to merge the two conservative parties that split the vote into this one Frankenstein party. But I think that there's also some hope there because I think that she can, if there were a mass movement of, of the left that rivaled, um, the this far-right populist movement embodied by an organization called take back alberta which we don't have time to go no, into don't. if you want to learn more i wrote about them uh in a piece for jacobin last year that uh was quite well received um that i think that is her weakness too this flexibility and and while she is part of the same project as kenny and she is fulfilling the logical conclusion of a lot of what kenny did i i i i do think that this this lack of a firm root in uh these like institutions belief in these institutions of power that jason kenny has could be her weakness
0: uh that's a very interesting thought and um i'm not sure that i have a an answer to it Aside from, I think you're right. Uh, Danielle Smith uh, is quite prepared to throw uh, democratic institutions, various institutions, under the bus when it's convenient for her, because she's a libertarian, right? She believes in the primacy of the individual. She believes in the, and beca- and the, by extension, the primacy of markets. So I get that. And and Kenny, you're you're quite right. He is more of a. Uh, he has he's invested in certain institutions like the monarchy and and some of the things you you mentioned. The, the problem is, and we need to pull back, you know, we've got to wrap up our interview here uh, before this goes on for hours, but we need to pull back to the 35,000-foot level and say, where is the world going and how is Alberta responding to it and is the leadership, the political leadership that Kenny laid the foundation for and that Danielle Smith is, is taking up the gauntlet, is it adequate to the task, to the challenge of clean energy and the challenge of China as the big champion of the global champion of clean energy? Is it up to it? Are they up to it? And the answer unequivocally
1: is that they are not.
0: They are absolutely not. Yeah. I not. mean,
1: and I mean, that's an understatement, right? Because it's not that they're just not up to the challenge, it's that they don't recognize the challenge and are actively working against efforts to address the challenge yes i i would agree wholeheartedly well you know what here's the
0: thing so danielle smith is not a deep thinker i mean she's not she's not out reading uh, iea reports or bloomberg nef reports or even opec reports she just picks
1: stuff up here and there and, and everywhere
0: maybe she gets briefing notes from the department of energy once in a while
1: well, we what know she, we know what sort of websites she she likes to read uh, based on her old newsletter. Um.
0: Sure, but you know where where what she did is during the World Petroleum Congress in uh, in Calgary in September is she hung out with the Saudis. Uh, Ezra Levant, were he being intellectually consistent, would be appalled, right? Because the Saudis are the big enemies in Ezra's view. But no, uh, she hung out with them and she explicitly adopted their slow energy transition narrative which then was expressed in their world oil outlook 2045 that came out a couple of months after that so she she has allied alberta with the saudis and with opec plus right because
1: like, like another right wing uh talk radio uh figure uh joe rogan i think Her views are just whatever the last person she spoke to is. And she surrounds herself by, you know, the King of Saudi Arabia, these far-right, you know, parents' rights anti-trans activists.
0: David Parker Um, from Take Back Alberta.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tucker Carlson, right? (laughs) And so she adopts their framework, whereas Kenny does have, like, deeply rooted convictions. And so I think that although I don't think in power, the difference between them has been very distinct as as individuals, if I could psychologize a bit, I think that is the main distinction that 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 Kenny's very well read and has these firmly rooted beliefs. And this respect for institutions of established power that Smith doesn't. Like I think if we're if we're looking at this sort of conservatism as a spectrum between neoliberal and neoconservative, Kenny is closer to the neoconservative point on the spectrum, and Smith is much closer to the neoliberal. But when she comes to power, you see her doing a lot of uh again, neo- Conservatives, social engineering around transgender people in schools, around clean energy, around um, COVID responses, um, pandemic responses, public health. Yes, but 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 what but what I was thinking in in particular is around addressing the uh drug poisoning crisis right and in and and taking this firm law and order approach and integrating this this recovery system that kenny began the process of doing into law enforcement by empowering uh police to force people into recovery which i think is a, a very good example of like a neoconservative policy um through its use of state power it's moralism and it's uh sort of facade of compassion.
0: Uh, let's wrap this up, Jeremy. I, listeners, I would say that, you know, for at all, at all interested in Alberta politics, and particularly where it's going in the next year or two, you need to read this book because it lays the foundation for understanding Danielle Smith, understanding modern Alberta, because Alberta today is not the Alberta of 10 years ago. It's not the Alberta that I lived in when I was in Calgary from 2000 to 2010. It is a very different place. And, you, and so Jeremy's book lays out a framework. And I think what we've demonstrated in this uh, discussion, Jeremy, is there's an intellectual framework that undergirds your work. That's very useful. No, I don't agree with everything that, you know, I don't agree with your take on all of these things necessarily, but it's having a framework and understanding framework of other people is a useful tool to understanding the politics, the issues that come up. And that's too often uh, missing from uh, Alberta. And so I commend you on writing this book and I would recommend to our listeners that they buy one, buy a copy.
1: Yeah. Uh, Thanks so much for having me, Markham. Uh, It was great to uh, talk about this with you i'm still very much struggling with uh you know talking about this entire book i wrote in like focusing on specific aspects just because there's so much that's like interconnected um in all these talks but i uh greatly appreciate you keeping me on track
0: well, we'll have you back for sure, uh, and we'll uh, we'll maybe talk about some of the political philosophy that underlies the Smith government, because that's still something that I'm interested in pursuing. And uh, say hi to Scott for me. Oh yeah, we'll do. Take care. Bye. Bye.